teach us to realize the brevity of life so that we may grow in wisdom. And verse 19 of the same psalm, And may the Lord our God show us his approval and make our efforts successful. Yes, make our efforts successful. You can write those psalms down, those two verses, because they're uh, something that will challenge us in our presence alone. Uh, but in a nutshell, Moses is saying to teach us the most, to make the most of our time. Okay? We all want to make the most of our time. Um, but we often make decisions based on our time, um, whether we feel busy or whether we feel like we're time. Hallelujah, what's this? Oh, okay, I got you. Praise the Lord for that. Um, whether we've got this time coming, but let me say this. This is a quote from John Bevere. Time misused can never be recovered. When we think about time, when we think about driven by eternity, when we think about what God's called us to do in this life, the time that we've got, we've all got the same amount. We've all got 24 hours in one day. Is that right? You can't, you can ask God for more time, but there's one thing that he's bound by the law that he's put into place that we've all got the same 24 hours. He's even got the same 24 hours to work in. We've all only got the same seven days of the week. We've all only got the same amount of time. And, and therefore, we've got to look at how we use our time because time misused can never be recovered. Then in the last verse, we see the statement, make our efforts successful. And he, and he repeats it for emphasis. This is what they did as the writers of the Bible. It's a Hebrew trick to, where we use things like bold and underline and italic and exclamation marks and quotation marks and things like that, what they used to do in their literary writing was to repeat their statement. So you can see there in verse 19, make our efforts successful. Everyone say successful. Successful. Repeated for emphasis, successful. Successful. All right. So the fact is um, that this is repeated to give us the confidence that it is God's will for our life to be successful. Is that right? So we know this because the Holy Spirit allowed Moses to write this twice. That's how we'd say it. Success and significance is something God wants for his people. We see this in how he dealt with his people, the nation Israel. In Deuteronomy chapter 30 and verse 9, the Lord your God will then make you successful in everything you do. He will give you many children. There you go. It's up there now. He will give you many children and numerous livestock. And he will cause your fields to produce abundant harvests. For the Lord will again delight in being good to you as he was to your ancestors. Again, God instructs Joshua in this way, where he says in 1.8, study this book of instruction continually, meditate on it day and night, and you will be sure to obey everything written in it. Only then will you prosper and succeed in all you do. So the key to success, the key to being successful in the kingdom of God is literally his word and reading it and applying it and living by it in our life. Can everyone say amen to that at least? This is a preface, all right? That's the first point of our our preface. Success and significance are linked with his plans and purposes which are made clear in his word. Therefore, to live a life that counts is to live... In the will of God, anyone or anything that is done outside of the will of God is not accounted to our life. 
It is actually something that will burn up and perish. Okay, and that's kind of what we're looking at here in this preface. The second part of our preface is to assist us with moving forward in our walk with Jesus. It's assisting us moving forward in understanding what he's called us to do. God wants us to have a balanced diet, like I said at the start. But if we always stay around the nice things in Scripture, like mercy and love and acceptance and all those things, without a deep concept of what all Scripture declares, then we never fully mature. Who knows God wants us to mature into strong sons and daughters? Yeah. Yeah? So we've got to sometimes touch on the things that God wants to speak into our life that will help us to mature. And we've got to approach this with a positive attitude, knowing that God wants to do this in our life. And he wants to challenge us. Hebrews 6 and 1, verse 1 and verse 2 is already up there. God writes this. Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God and of instructions about washings, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead and the last one there, eternal judgment. The doctrine of eternal judgment is an elementary Or a foundational teaching that I believe many within the church today have little to no concept of. And those that have a concept of eternal judgment have a judgment based upon their own concepts or their own precepts. It comes from a worldview of of the... No, I'll I'll leave that. But it comes from our own uh, understanding more so than what God's word actually says. Which is why I believe we need to spend some time sharing on it. At no point does the series compromise one thing that we've taught leading up to it. We've got to teach things in balance. But we've got to understand when you teach something of the word of God, it does never undermine the other teachings that you've walked through. The teachings of um, accepted in Christ, the teachings of saved by grace. Through faith alone, the teachings that we are new creations, um, all of those sorts of teachings are foundational to understanding who we are and who God's called us to be. The teaching of eternal judgment is about the fact that we will one day stand before a God who is holy and righteous and we will give account based upon what he's asked us to do according to his word. It's, it's, it's not beneficial for us to stay with one area to the detriment of the other. Does that make sense? We can't always talk about hell. We must talk about life. We can't always talk about grace. We must talk about the judgment that we will have as Christians. And that's what we're looking at. So that's my preface. Are we open to ready our hearts to Jesus today? The first thing is God wants to succeed you in life. He wants to be a success for you and he wants you to be a success for him, as he's called you to be, as he's graced you to be. That's the whole point of him giving us the spirit. Amen. The second one is that what we lay here over this six week period does not undermine what God has done, but in fact heightens because really the doctrine of eternal judgment is a uh, elementary doctrine that the people in the Hebrew 
time period through that book of Hebrews, we're encouraged to press on through. Let's not lay again that foundation. So we need a foundation before we can move on from it. Is that right? Yeah. So are you with me today? Yeah, we're going to get into this. Would you stand with me and pray? Yeah, let's pray then. Stand up. And get with my jacket while you stand up. Because I'm already hot. Okay. Let's bow our heads. Dear God of eternity, creator of all and Lord of the universe, I come to you in the name of Jesus Christ, your son. I ask in agreement with each person here today. And you ask in agreement with your pastor that in Christ this day you would anoint our eyes to see and my ears to hear and that you would give me a heart to perceive and understand what you were saying to me through this series of messages. I acknowledge my need for the Holy Spirit's help to know your will and ways for my life. If I desire to please you all the days of my life as well as throughout all eternity. Show me not only your ways, but also your heart that I may know. For this is eternal life, to know you intimately as my heavenly father. Thank you for your amazing faithfulness, grace and mercy. And all God's people said, Amen. Let's take a seat. We're going to move into our introduction for week one. Driven by eternity, the eternal. That is our message for today. We are looking at the eternal for us today. Our aim over this series is to build a life of eternal significance by developing and using godly wisdom. Something I want to remind us of is this this statement. And this statement was in our newsletters. I'm going to live a Christ-filled life to the fullest now so that I can live an even fuller life then. Francis Chan, anyone ever heard of Francis Chan? He, he, gave, he gave his very first sermon, he, I was only watching it again the other day, um, a highlight of something, and he said, this was my first sermon. And he took a rope, and he grabbed this really long rope, it was probably a 30, 40 metre rope, and he grabbed the end of it, and he taped with electrical tape the first um, 150, 200 mil. And he picked up this rope, and he said, this is your life. This is the span of your life here on earth in the tape, but this, and he pulled the rope, and he just kept pulling the rope, is your life. The concept of eternity we do not fathom with our finite minds. The concept of eternity that we put all of our eggs into that first 70 or 80 years instead of thinking about the eternal that God has planned for us. So I want to live a life that is not just filled and fulfilled here on earth in the 70, 80, 90 or even God willing 100 years that I might live. But I want to build for an eternity with God because there's so much more that I want to experience with God after I step into eternity with him. Does that make sense? So how do we do this? So the question we will be looking to answer is this. What will guide and motivate our lives? Will it be the temporal or the eternal? It's a big question. Are we living life right here, right now for what I can get for me now? Or am I living with a concept of eternity that is actually about getting as many to join me in eternity so that we can live an eternity in God's glory? 
See, that's the focus. That's the shift that I believe needs to take place as we think about the eternal. The six headings I have today, the first one is this. and We're going to move through them really quickly. Eternity. So you've got to try and keep up with me today. Is that okay? If we are motivated by the eternal, let us begin by getting an understanding of the eternal. So the eternal itself, Job 36 and verse 26 B says this, no one can begin to understand eternity. No one can understand. He cannot begin to understand eternity. And Ecclesiastes 3.11, he has planted eternity in the human heart. That is, God has planted eternity in the human heart. So what is eternity? How can it be defined? No one understands it, yet it's in each of your hearts. Does that kind of blow your mind straight away you can't understand eternity with your brain but in your hearts it's written there you know it's true those you talk to who who are seeking god they know that there's something beyond this life they know that there's something it's written there by god himself that there is an eternal perspective to our lives but yet you cannot comprehend it One dictionary, the Webster's Encyclopedia Unabridged Dictionary, it declares that or defines eternity as infinite time. But another, the American Heritage Dictionary, defines it this way. Eternity is the state of existing outside of time. If these were were science books and one was saying this and the other was saying that, we would throw them out because they are both saying completely the opposite. One is saying, in this context, the dictionary is saying that eternity is limitless time, which means it's been put into the bounds of time. The other one is saying it is time ex- well, it's saying that eternity is that without bounds of time. The two opposite things. So which one actually is it? If these smart people can't define it, how are we supposed to define it with our minds? Truth is, eternity cannot be mentally comprehended. We have finite minds prohibited from grasping perpetual and everlasting concepts with our brain. We think we can understand it, but we really can't. We think about eternity. If you said you had, if I said to you today, you've got 24 hour period starting from now to determine your life and how you are going to spend the rest of eternity, would you all be doing something different than what you're doing right now? Absolutely, we would be. Because that 24-hour period, whatever you do in that 24-hour period, determines how you're going to spend the rest of eternity, or you're going to start moving pretty quick. Because 24 hours is not a long period of time. But when you put it in the the context of 24 hours and eternity... They're a blip. It's not even a blip on the radar of eternity, is it? It's not even a, a drop in the ocean. It's not, even, it, it's not even the Sydney Harbour in the ocean when you compare eternity and time. They're just completely oblivious to one another. They're, they're opposites, time and eternity. Mentally, you cannot comprehend it. Just take an example for, for me. For me. We'll just go for a little sideway. A little little segue here for you. Think about the universe. We'll try and understand the universe with our finite minds. And I'm not going to do a Louis Giglio to you and zoom out to all the suns and the massive things that he does, which is amazing. And I tell you, go and look for that story. But but just think about the universe. Now, if you can, think about the edge of the universe. 
What's at the edge of the universe? Can you think about it? What's there? <laughs> I got a couple of shakes of the head, nothing. Um, is it a wall? Is there a wall around the edge of the universe? And therefore, if there's a wall, how thick is the wall? How high is the wall? What's on the other side of the wall? If it's nothing, then isn't that just more space? So therefore, the universe continues. You see, it's perpetual. It continues. It's everlasting to everlasting. It continues to grow. And when you think about that, you're like, well, I can't even grasp that concept of the universe being never-ending. How am I supposed to grasp time in the context of eternity? There is no such thing as time in eternity. So this is an eternal thing that we're talking about here. We can't naturally grasp it with our mind. But when you think about the universe on the other side of that wall that could possibly be there is just more space and therefore we're in more universe. So therefore in eternity we're going to more time. Does that make sense? It's kind of... Mm. Well, or the context of the bottomless pit. Who's ever thought about a bottomless pit? Who's ever had a dream about falling in a bottomless pit? Yeah, um, pretty scary. Like the context of never ending falling. You would be fearful that you're going to hit the bottom at one day and you're going to hear the big thud on the ground. But there is a bottomless pit. You are eternally falling. Like, that's a concept that's in scripture. It's mentioned seven times, the bottomless pit. So God operates outside the finite mind, doesn't he? Or, or the context of God himself. Can he be understood with the finite mind? Absolutely not. But we try and so we should. So we should get our head around what the word of God says. So we should try and understand who God is. But when we understand one facet of God... We just turn the little diamond around and we find there's another beautiful facet to discover of God the next time we come to him. See, our minds actually grasp the concept, but it can't grasp the enormity of God himself, who is, like I said before, from everlasting to everlasting in Psalm 90 verse 2. So that's like an introduction to eternity. The second point is this, Eternity is placed in our hearts. It's not meant to be grasped with the mind. It's meant to be grasped with the inner knowing that God has placed it there for us to find it. Each and every one of us know that it's there. What is in truth declared unreachable to our natural minds is placed in our hearts by the creator. Eternity is known in our hearts. This is why it is said in Psalm 14.1, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. Notice that the psalm does not say the fool has said within his mind. The fool has said within his heart that there is no God. Think of the concept. Think of talking to someone who is an atheist. Therefore, they, they know there is no God. Is that right? That's just divine atheist for a minute. They know there is no God. I mean... Um, agnostic is that they, they believe there could be a God because they just haven't discovered him. Atheist is the declaration that there is no God. So just think about the context of, of that thought for a moment.
You've got to understand in their hearts, they know that he exists. Because God himself has said that he has planted eternity there. So you want to talk to an atheist or someone who doesn't believe that there's God. Don't try and talk to them at the level of their intelligence. They will own you every day of the week. But the Holy Spirit has been given to you so that you can speak to their heart. Because the Holy Spirit is about drawing out that which God himself has planted there. You see, an atheist is not a fool. They say with their mind, with their intellect, that there is no God. But an atheist can be one for Christ. Okay? An atheist can be one for Christ. But those people who have hardened their heart to the point to say that there is no God is what the Bible's declaring are the fools. They are ones who would say there is no God intellectually, but they will also say in their heart there is no God, therefore they are foolish because they have rejected the very seed of the eternal that God has placed in their heart. I left my book, so I'm not going to read you the story, and it's probably good because it'll take up too much time. But that's the atheist. And in the story, you might have to buy the book and read it. Within the story is an atheist who comes to Christ. Okay? And it sort of shows the changes and how God opened up his heart. John Bevere wrote this. It is one thing to hold firm belief. Sorry, it is one thing to hold belief firm in your intellect. Because that can always be changed. But it is quite another thing to completely harden your heart. Unger's Bible gives this description. The scripture, the fool primarily is, in the scripture, the fool primarily is the person that casts off the fear of God and thinks and acts as if he could safely disregard the eternal principles of God's righteousness. The fool may acknowledge God mentally, but he denies his existence in his heart which is reflected in how he lives. See, God is always intentional about understanding your heart. And people will say to you, but God knows my heart. And sometimes what happens is we justify our lifestyle and the choices of our lifestyle by saying God understands my heart. But if God understands my heart then that puts me on a very different plane if I'm doing what I want to do and not what God wants to do. That's a foolish claim to make. That is the first step to hardening one's heart. Does that make sense? Because that's what the fool does. They justify their actions saying that God understands, therefore putting their own context into the word of God and manipulating it to be something that it's not. The word is truth and it will speak directly to pierce the heart like a sword if we allow it. But what we try and do is we try and decipher the word through our intellect instead of letting it speak to our heart and coming through. And that's what we're looking at here. So eternity. God has placed it in our hearts. The fear of God is what keeps our hearts within the reach of the Holy Spirit. The grace of God is what fulfills us to overcome, fills us to overcome every obstacle in our life. It's the fear of God that keeps us within reach of the Holy Spirit. That's a good concept, isn't it? Acts 13 and verse 26. Men and brethren, 
sons of the family of Abraham and those among you who fear God. To you, the word of salvation has been sent. John Bevere wrote, only those who fear God are capable of hearing the words of eternal life. Interesting, isn't it? So God puts eternity into our hearts, which is the capacity to be able to fear him. And when we connect with the capacity there that God has placed, we could win our brothers and sisters to Christ. Eternity defined, point three. Eternity is everlasting. There is no end to it. Is that right? It is not just a matter of ceaseless time as it is not subject to it and exists outside of time. It is not perpetual in any way. To capture the best view of eternity, we must look at God himself. He is not limited in power, knowledge, wisdom, understanding or glory. Just to name a few. He is self-existent forever. He was and forever he will be. He is the everlasting father, according to Isaiah 9, 6. And he is the king of eternity, according to 1 Timothy 1, 17. All that is eternal is found in him. In fact, eternity itself is found in him. All that is outside of him is temporal and will change. Just let that sink in for a moment. All that is found outside of God is temporal and will change. No matter how good, noble, powerful or enduring it may seem, it will eventually cease. Even the earth and the universe itself will change, but he never will. That's good to know, isn't it? It's good to know. Even when God decides time's up and he rolls up the map of the world and he rolls up the map of the entire universe because that's how big God is. We can't get our head around the universe, but we can get our head around the fact that God can roll it up. The day that he comes to do that, is an amazing time for you and I. He never changes. He will never cease. Hebrews 1 and verse 10 to 12 says this. He also says to the Son, In the beginning, Lord, you laid the foundation of the earth and made the heavens with your hands. They will perish, but you remain forever. They will wear out like old clothing. You will fold them up like a cloak and discard them like old clothing. But you are always the same. You will live forever. Isn't that amazing? God is eternal. What he speaks is eternal. He cannot lie, nor can what he says be broken. Everything would cease to exist if it could. So that's in a context to understand eternity. We've got to start to understand God. The more we understand God, the more we understand eternity. This brings us to our fourth point. And like I say, I'm trying to move through these quickly for us. Eternal judgments. As, God, as God's people, we are found in Christ. We cannot mistake that. We cannot ever lose that. That is the truth. 
But we must build our lives according to Christ. And one day, maybe I'll share um, on the, the parable of the, the sower with the seeds, but it's not for this time. But this is the context, the concept that I'm talking about. We must build our lives according to Christ. As the eternal word of God, he is our foundation. Many people build their lives on cultural thinking, traditions, assumptions and feelings and not according to the word of God. For example, God is a God of love. He will show mercy. Love is love. If it feels good, do it. It is a scary thing to believe that something temporal is eternal truth. If it feels good, do it, is a real temporal thought. It is not an eternal truth. If we base our lives on eternal truths, we know we can approach God in the fullest of confidence. People from opinion, uh, the people form opinions about God and base their ideals on these concepts. When we know that scripture does not support their thoughts. It might get a little heavy as we get into this section, eternal judgments. Jesus said John, in John uh, chapter 12 and verse 48 to 49, He who rejects me and does not receive my words has that which judges him. The word that I have spoken will judge him in the last day. For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me gave me a command. What I should say and what I should speak. There is a judgment day that has been appointed since the foundation of the world. Acts chapter 17 and verse 31. The apostles knew this. Because he has appointed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom he has ordained, that is Jesus. He has given assurance of this to all by raising him from the dead. So that means the very fact that Jesus came back from the dead means that you and I and the rest of our world is going to stand before Jesus to be judged. Okay, we cannot escape that. That is the truth. That is what is happening. That day will not bring new revelations of truth. That day. Now, after that day, that's another thing because you're going to spend an eternity discovering God. But that day will not bring you a new revelation of truth. But in fact, will measure all things by what has already been spoken in God's word. This is the measure of what you will be judged on. There is no other book, no other teaching, no other writing, no other video, no other concept outside of this by which you will be judged upon. This is it. It's his word. And he's given it to us so that we can understand and be prepared. We say amen to that because I think we need to. We need to be prepared. We currently possess this for this reason. The, this judgment, it is eternal and is final. But there's no appeal. There's no appeal court after this judgment. It's eternal and it's final. It will not change just like his word will not change. 
There is no exceptions, alterations or revisions. Wouldn't it benefit us to know and live by what the word declares? It would, wouldn't it? We cannot allow this impending judgment to come to us with at least without investigating it for ourselves. So that's my challenge. I get a chance to teach this concept. You have the challenge to take it to the word and ask Jesus to reveal it to you. That's the challenge because each of us have to apply what God's saying to our lives. There is an impending judgment. We cannot take false hopes in concepts that are found or not found, sorry, in the word of God. His word, as lived out in grace, means that our salvation is not at risk. Is that right? Absolutely true. There's a foundation that is never in jeopardy. You place your trust in your life your belief firmly upon Jesus to the point that you know that you have repented. And that means turn from your ways completely to God's. That's not a little bit. That's completely turned to God's. Then you know that your judgment is secure and you'll go through that part of it. That is an eternal truth that will never, ever change. But we can't take false hope in other concepts that we'll be okay either. God will not take into account all the good that you have done in the thought of hopefully it will outweigh the bad. We can't find salvation in any other way than through Jesus Christ. Okay? Don't be confused. We each will stand before Jesus as judge. If we have placed our trust in him and applied his word and lived by his grace, then our salvation is not at risk. And there's more on that in another week. So I won't take that from you. Point five, confidence at the judgment. You know, we can have confidence at the judgment. This is not to scare anyone. This is actually right here, right now, our hope. We can have confidence as we stand before God. Do you want confidence? Absolutely. I want confidence. I want to know that I'm walking the walk that God has placed for me, that I'm talking the talk and that I'm living for God and that one day I'm going to hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into your reward. You see, this confidence in the judgment. We don't have to go to judgment day in fear. We can go with confidence. 1 John 4, 17. I've used this in other contexts in the past, but I really like this version in the New Living. It says, And as we live in God, our love grows more perfect. So we will not be afraid on the day of judgment, but we can face him with confidence. Everyone say confidence. Confidence. Because we live like Jesus here in the world. In this world. That's pretty cool, isn't it? We, so who's pursuing Jesus? None of you. Okay. I'll just wrap up and go home. <laughs> this way. Oh, this side is pursuing Jesus. Are you pursuing Jesus? Like, okay. We're all on that same page at least. But that's our confidence. Okay. The key to confidence is the love of God being perfected in us, growing us to maturity. Remember I said we're talking about elementary teachings, things that we should already know? Yeah? 
That's what we're looking at right here so that we can have the confidence to move into where God's calling us. There are three warnings here that I want to touch on. And if I touch something in your life right now, then praise God, change it. Don't go, Pastor had a crack at me. Change it. All right? Here we go. Three examples of people have, confident, have found confidence in a righteous standard that is temporal over the eternal. Now, we're looking for an eternal confidence. Is that right? Not a temporal confidence. A, we love each other so much we are planning on getting married. Said to justify a lifestyle of sexual sin. Not only is this sinful, but it is not often the case that they follow through with their statement to get married. The world may accept it, but the word is clear. Hebrews 13 verse 4. Marriage should be honoured by all and the marriage bed kept pure, for God will judge the adulterer and all the sexually immoral. That's written to the church. Okay? Notice it does not say the adulterer and sexually immoral who don't attend church, but those who practice this lifestyle. Remember I was talking before about when the word of God touches our life, the outflow of that is that we will do the will of God. I said that in not so many words. But when, when we're pursuing God, there is evidence that we're pursuing God. Now, we're not going to be perfect in that. The aim is to be like Jesus. But we're not setting out on purpose to justify a lifestyle of sin either, are we? When our heart is toward Jesus, when we're living in the fear of God, we actually want to stay away from those things. I used to teach the youth, actually. It was really funny um, that... Some would say, you know, can we do this? Can we do that? And I'm like, I had no relationships in our youth group, by the way. It was really awesome. It was such a blessed time. And they say, can we do this? Can we do that? And we're like, no. And, and, and to justify it, I'd say, well, would you like to be doing that when Jesus comes back? And he walks into the room and finds you doing that? And they're like, oh. And I'm like, well, that's, you've just connected with the fear of God. That's the whole point of the fear of God in that context. So... We've got to understand that God doesn't want us to justify our stance because that becomes a temporal stance. That will be judged. That will burn up. Okay? And we'll actually suffer loss because of that. I don't want to enter into kingdom suffering loss. Do you want to enter into the kingdom suffering loss? We'll open more of that up in the next few weeks. But got to understand this concept. This, the, third one, the second one. I know it wasn't quite the truth. But it helped me close the sale. The worker or business owner who uses deception to do business, operating with no integrity. This is not just lying, but it is always for the purpose of benefiting the liar. And have we forgotten Revelation 21 and verse 8, which says, But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral... Sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars. Their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. That's the final judgment. See, like I said, the character of the Christian is to follow Christ. And those things, if we harden our heart to God when he wants to deal with them in our life, 
then we actually say in our heart there is no God. In a sense, we apostatize and we push God away. The faith, the, the, the truth is we can always come back to God and repent. The truth is we can always be right with God. But I don't want to see anyone with a, such a hard heart that they've rejected God completely. Does that make sense? Revelation 21.8, it's an interesting one, isn't it? And the third one I want to highlight here, what I said about him is the truth. Often said when people are talking in a negative light, for example, gossiping or slandering about a fellow worker, a friend, a boss, past relationship, whatever. Fact, you can be 100% right and still be 100% wrong according to biblical standards. Just because it's true doesn't make it eternal truth. Does that make sense? James chapter 5 and verse 9. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Talking to the church. Do not grumble against each other, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. James talking of his brother Jesus. Examples can be endless, but they show us people can be in error to God's eternal will. John gave us the perfect example on how to measure up to the eternal. 1 John chapter 2, verses 4 to 5. And I'll read this out of the Amplified, so get, bear with me because it's a bit long. Whoever says, I know him, which means I perceive, recognize, understand and am acquainted with him, but fails to keep and obey his commandments or his teachings is a liar. And the truth of the gospel is not in him. But he who keeps or treasures his word, who bears in mind his precepts, who observes his message in its entirety, truly in him has the love of and for God been perfected, completed or reached maturity. By this we may perceive, know, recognise and be sure that we are in him. Write that one down, 1 John 2, 4 to 5 and study that out. Read it out, work it out, understand it. By these concepts we know that you are in him. You ever want to know that you're saved? You ever want to know that you're following Jesus as well? There is an answer right there. By this. When Jesus says, can you do this for me? And you say, no, you kind of got to fix that up pretty quickly. You know, it's just part and parcel of the walk with God. Remember, it is the perfected or matured love of God that gives us confidence to stand before Jesus, our judge. John makes it clear that the love of God is perfected in keeping commandments, not in behaving in a way that is good according to society standards. This is why we need grace. I'll say that again. This is why we need grace. To observe and keep the entire word. The first meaning of grace being that it is unmerited favour is perfect to understand your salvation stance. The other meaning of grace, which is God's empowering presence, and Paul uses it in many contexts, the empowering presence, the Holy Spirit, the presence of God in your life to overcome. 
is to help you walk out your journey to become more like Christ so that you can stand before God in the eternal judgment in confidence, knowing that you have loved him to the fullest. And that is done not in human effort. That is done by the grace of God in your life. That's the importance of grace. You can't lose the concept. You need the grace of God and you need the fear of God in your life. Without one, you will run off the road and you will crash. They are the boundary markers to keep you running along the line straight. The path is narrow to righteousness. It's not fast and wide. It's often hard. And we need to think about this in the fullest of this context. I need to finish. I got one more point. But before I get there, I want to just say, to understand this concept, the easiest way you can think of doing, and this comes out of the book, and it just speaks to my mind. In Singapore, it's illegal to take drugs. Is that right? Who's been to Singapore before? Yeah? Is it illegal to carry drugs, have drugs? Can you go to prison for having marijuana? Yep. Okay. In the Netherlands, it's not illegal to smoke marijuana. Two different countries, sovereign in their own right. They have two different laws. Is that right? Now, if a young, if a young chap from, from, from the Netherlands, a young Dutch boy, decides to pack his bags to go on a holiday to Singapore and he grabs his stash of what is legal for him to do in the Netherlands of marijuana and puts it into his duffel pack and boards the plane and flies to Singapore and they meet him at customs and find him with marijuana in his bag, what do you think is going to happen? Straight to jail. Okay? That's a fair point, isn't it? His excuse that it's legal in my country, do you think that's going to cut it? Okay. Do you think that will cut it? He goes before the Singaporean judge and the Singaporean judge says, well, it might be legal for you in your country, but it's not legal for you here in my country. You should have read the instruction book before you came to Singapore. Now you're going to spend the next 20 years in prison. Yeah, for a $50 pouch of marijuana. You should have read the instruction book before you stood before the judge. The concept is what might be legal in my country here on earth, and we can go down that path. There are many things in Australia that are that are legal, that are illegal in here. Many things. If we judge our standard by what Australian law is, and we stand before Jesus on that day not knowing what this says, then all of a sudden I am without excuse. And guess what? I'm going to suffer loss. My salvation will be intact, but I will suffer loss. And that pretty place of heaven, which is said there will be no more tears, he'll wipe them away. You will regret the decisions you made in that place. Especially when so-and-so who you've been trying to pray for but never had the courage to go and reach is not standing with you. And when God had called you to go and tell them the gospel. See, it's about eternal principles here. God has laid it out for us to understand. And I'm not going to be judged based upon Australian law. I'm going to be judged based upon what he said. And love con conquers all. See, love wins. 
Love conquers all. It conquers all my fear. It stops when I get fearful of having to go and tell someone about the gospel. Love conquers that fear. When I'm faced with an opportunity to do something that I know in my flesh I will enjoy, but I know that I will regret later. What guides me is what the word says. And I walk away from that because of the grace of God that empowers me to overcome that. That's Christianity working out in faith. The grace of God will help you to do that, but you will stand accountable for what you choose. The last one is this, the the rewards. There will be more than one judgment in eternity. There is the one for the non-believer. Okay. That's where the sheep are separated from the goats. That's the first judgment. The second judgment, we, we, in Christ, we, we are safe through that first judgment. The second judgment is the judgment of the believer. That's a, a biblical principle and we'll study that out over this next month and a half. The believer's judgment. The third one is the judgment of the angels. They're all biblical concepts. We know, that the, we know that Satan himself is going to be thrown into the lake of fire. It's a judgment of the angels, okay? We know that's going to happen. <clears throat> there will be loss and there will be punishment and there will be rewards. You can't have loss without the pro- promise of rewards, okay? There will be loss for some. There will be rewards for others. I know what I've done in my flesh will be burnt up. Praise God for that. I want that burnt up. I don't want that coming with me. There will be a time that I know that there will be things that I didn't do and I'll watch that before my eyes and I'll watch that burned up. But I know that I will stand before God based upon what he's called me to do and in that is what I'm talking to you is what I want you to have confidence in. That's why we're teaching what we're teaching. 1 Corinthians 9 and verse 24. Paul writes this. Do you not know that those who run the race, those who run in a race all run, but one receives the prize. Run in such a way that you may obtain it. And everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a perishable crown, but we for an imperishable crown. Therefore, I run thus, not with uncertainty. Thus, I fight, not as one who beats the air, but I discipline my body and bring it into subjection, lest when I have preached to others, I myself, look at this, should become disqualified. That was the Apostle Paul writing. I beat myself into submission. I discipline my body. I live for Christ so that I do not find myself disqualified. My question, are we running with purpose? So in conclusion, there's a lot to take in today. And you've done fantastically well to bear with me to get through that. But let's be clear, we will be facing a day where we individually stand before Jesus, our judge. Better to know that now.
so that we can do something about it. Yep. Not to strike fear into us, but to bring a level of confidence because we can each go before God. We can humble ourselves before the word. We can get down on our knees and we can ask God to make right those areas of our life that we have struggled in. Better to know now what we're in for than to arrive on that day and to not know. As we journey this series, let me say, you may be shocked with what you discover. You may need to make some significant adjustments. I've had to in my journey and it's an ongoing process. You will be shaken at times and even chastened by God, but it will always be followed by promise, hope, and hopefully a level of comfort in there that you can be assured with. If you are courageous, if you desire the truth and have a heart for God, then together we will grow through this. You'll be all the more glad for it. And let's take courage in our final reading today. Titus 3 and verse 7 to 8 out of the Message Bible. God's gift has restored our relationship with him and given us back our lives. And there's more life to come, an eternity of life. You can count on this. I want you to put your foot down. Take a firm stand on these matters so that those who have put their trust in God will concentrate on the essentials that are good for everyone. Let's stand to our feet before James comes and pray this morning. God, I pray that you would teach us a holy fear, a righteous fear, a right fear. Not a fear of the dark, not a fear that something's going to come upon us that's never been intentioned by you. But a fear that would cause us to run to you in every situation. To judge ourselves righteously and rightly before the word of God. And Lord, to be upon our knees in the moments when we fail. I pray, Lord, would you keep our hearts soft? Would you teach us, Lord, to come to you no matter what? To open our hearts and to repent, Lord God, when we do come to that place of failure. Lord, I pray, make us supple before you. Lord, I I thank you for today, your word that speaks to us and Over the next few weeks, Lord, I pray that it would take us deeper into understanding. I pray that you would guard us, Lord God, in a way that would show us that you are in this, that you are leading us through this, and that you want to usher us all in with a well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into your reward. I pray, Lord God, that we as your sons and daughters would, would take this to heart. That we would be challenged to read our Bibles. That we would 
sincerely ask your Holy Spirit to illuminate and highlight the things in our lives that we need to apply, that we can see that the fruit of Christ is outworked in our life. Lord, I would even ask today, I would brave to ask that the hearts of every person in this room would be transformed into good soil. Break up the rocky ground in the name of Jesus. That our roots would go deep. That we would be fully assured that our salvation and our eternal reward is complete in Christ. So I pray, Lord, guide us, lead us, challenge us. Never leave us the same again. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks, Pastor James.